Welcome to the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Wright, attorney, author, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker. This is the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. Let's get started. Hi, Nicole. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Welcome to episode 12 of the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about financial abuse in midlife crisis in the context of a divorce. So for my listeners, Nicole is my former client. We finalized your divorce. Was it a little bit a year ago? I feel like. Yeah, it was August, the end of August of 2022. All right. So we're coming up on a year, a year yes. out of this nightmare, yes. right? for lack of yes. a better word. Yes. Uh, and you've been rebuilding. I see you on social media. We stay in yes. touch and you're doing well. The kids are doing well, but you have such a fascinating story. And in my 13 years of practice, your divorce was definitely, I'd say in the top five of the craziest I've ever seen in terms of dealing with an ex who's just totally gone off the rails. So in your case, he didn't have a lawyer. So we were barely treading water. We didn't know know what we were going to get. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know if he was going to respond. We had all of these sort of peripheral issues going on, but I want to talk about your ex, and you guys had, it was a long-term marriage. And I want to talk about the warning signs that led up to everything that happened. We had the midlife crisis. There was the financial abuse, which precipitated the midlife crisis. And then it just, it exploded. Right. Okay. All right. So let's sort of, it was a long-term marriage. Tell me about your ex. I don't know if you want to use his name. Why don't we call him Kevin? Okay. Okay. Kevin wasn't his name, but we'll just call him Kevin. Okay. Okay. You want me to tell you a little bit about my marriage to Kevin? Tell us about your marriage so that we know what we're dealing with. Okay. So my marriage to Kevin, we we were married for 19 years. We were together for five years before that. Mm. And our relationship was very good. We were, I would consider, and I think we both would have considered that we were each other's person. We were great friends. We had so much fun together. And I believe that we really trusted each other. We built a family that we were proud of. And I really believe that the decisions I was making and the decisions he was making were in the best interest of the kids in our and our family up until maybe a year or two before all of this just came to a head. So what did Kevin so had a good relationship? What did Kevin do for work? Was he a good provider up until the financial abuse started? Yes, he was a very good provider. He did have some difficulties. He so he would be at some positions for about 10 years and then he would either get fired or he would quit. And one of the major things that Kevin and I dealt with was his lack of transparency and his tendency to either lie by omission or just straight out lie. It was something that we struggled with. And I think he was just afraid of my reactions if he told me the truth. Mm -hmm. So he was a good provider, but toward the end, I would say the last 10 years of our relationship, There was a little bit, he struggled a little bit with employment and I never really knew why he would quit or get fired. I never really got the true story. 
So why don't you tell them, give me a brief overview of what led to your decision to pursue a divorce after 20 years of mm. what was basically a pretty good marriage. Yeah. So there were lots of different factors in my marriage and everybody's marriage is different and everybody has things that they struggle with. Toward the end of my marriage, I struggled with alcoholism. I'm in recovery now, mm -hmm. but I struggled with alcoholism. I, I was a late bloomer and I became an alcoholic very late in life. I would say around 46, 47, I'm 50 now. I was an active alcoholic for... I would say about the last three years of our marriage. And I think that contributed, definitely contributed to the breakdown of our marriage. I will own that a hundred percent. Yes. So that's when things started breaking down. And I believe that's when the financial abuse started creeping because mm -hmm. I, I was a functioning alcoholic. I worked, we both made a healthy salary. At the time I had a job that was in healthcare that was very high pressure and stressful. So I did start relying on alcohol to, to relax and decrease stress, which was not a good coping skill. I know that now. And I think he took advantage of the fact, and I'm sure he was very hurt and upset that, that I was using substances and I wasn't there. I wasn't available emotionally to him or my kids mm -hmm. for a few, for a few years. But so I think he, on did he more or less, did he blame you? For, did he blame you for his midlife crisis? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe some of it was my alcoholism. But then there was a point where we both, there's enough blame to go around. I think he took my alcoholism and my mental absence, my emotional absence as a reason to start hiding things from me financially. I wasn't aware. And then I got sober. And when I got sober, he left because for the the last few years, he had been making financial decisions that were now coming to fruition mm. and just blowing up. And what I mean by that was he was making investments in things mm. that were not were not making money. We were yeah. losing money. Let's talk about that a little bit more. So how specifically did Kevin's midlife crisis manifest as reckless spending and that financial abuse within the family? What were those initial warning signs? Do you talk about these investments? Let's talk about what he was doing and how you found out about it. Okay. So Kevin decided that and I do need to say that it was very, it was, he was very manipulative. He had a way of positioning things mm. that he had done in a way that either I looked like I was being ungrateful mm. or just not appreciative. And by that, I mean, he decided without my knowledge at first, I found out about, I'll call it a property. It was a, it was literally a mobile home trailer in a trailer park, but it was a seasonal type of trailer, like a recreational type of thing. That was the first one. And he did present that to me. He presented that to me at my daughter's birthday party. It was just a family dinner as look what I bought. Look what I did for the family. And I was like, whoa. 
you can surprise the kids with this type of thing, but this is more than like a few hundred dollar type of decision. Right. Why didn't I know about this? And then, of course, an argument ensued and it was just not a good situation. That's where I looked unappreciative. He asked people, if your husband was going to buy you a vacation spot, wouldn't you be happy? So then I was like, okay, he's, I'll never do it again. I'll never buy something like this or this type, this level of spending without checking with you first. Then there was the second one that I found out about. And so now that was when I was like getting sober and really zoning in on different things. And I started asking more questions. And the more questions I asked, the more irritated, angry, and explosive he became because he handled all of our finances. He was in finance. He had a pretty high position where he was working. So I deferred to him with those types of things. I was busy with the kids. That was my wheelhouse. Finances were his. And then I started asking about passwords and accounts mm-hmm. because here we are, we're getting a little bit older, yep. late forties. He was older than me by a few years. And I thought, what if something ever happened to him? I need to know where my money is and how to access it. I think I asked him for a solid year for a list of accounts and passwords. It was not something that would be very difficult for a person at his level to come up with. It would have maybe taken an hour and he kept pushing me off. And then he started getting angry. Mm -hmm. You don't trust me. Why don't you trust me? Just trust me. Don't worry about it. That's when my red flags started going up. So He liked to go out and play golf a lot. He went to Patriots games. We had season tickets. He still does to the Patriots. So there were periods of time that I would take advantage of while he was gone for a whole day, half a day. I knew that he'd be gone for a good amount of time where I just started going through files and like things that I never really looked through. And I discovered he bought another property. Now, like I said, another property. Yes. So he bought one property in August and presented it to us in September. That was 2021. And then he, then I started looking and then I discovered, like I said, we had season tickets to the Patriots. He bought another one of these trailers in this trailer park. And I stumbled upon this manila envelope that said Foxborough party pad. So this was something that I was like, oh my gosh, this cannot be pushed off as a family type of vacation place or for us. And I confronted him about that and he left. He left. We got into a big argument because he had been caught red handed and he left. So that was the first time he left. At any Um, point during him buying these properties and you objecting and the fighting, did you ever say, if you keep doing this, we're going to end up getting divorced? Was that even? um, So I, I took my marriage very seriously, obviously my vows, I should say very seriously. There was very little that I would, that I would have done anything to Mm -hmm. save our marriage. I loved him so much. Not only that, he was my best friend and we hadn't grown apart in that way. So I wanted to make it work. And I was trying to see things from his side. 
But that, so I tried to understand the vacation type thing that was up in Alton, New Hampshire. It was on, on, on a lake. And I was like, okay, benefit of the doubt. He tried to surprise me. I'll let this go. But that was just a clear, like, very disrespectful purchase. And mm. I've been told, and you will know, that it's illegal to buy property in Massachusetts without the knowledge of your spouse. Is that true? No, you can buy property without the knowledge of your spouse. You're not really supposed to be doing it when you're in the middle of a divorce. Okay. Okay. So anyway, but what I did find out through the second one was I looked through the whole application and he said that he was single and he had, he said he had two adult sons. We have a teenage daughter and a teenage son. Wow. So that to me was blatant. This is not for our family, number number one. And number two, like things had changed. The game had changed at that point. And that's when I knew there, if I'm uncovering this in a few hours, this what is else just is there? the iceberg. I went to you, I believe. It was a couple days after, after thinking about things. And I went to you, I don't know if you remember this, but I went to you not with the intention of filing for divorce. I went there with the intention of finding out what and where, what my financial situation was and where my money was, it was, and what was going on. Because still then I was still like, I can, we can make this work. I just need to know what I'm working with. And you told me you can, the only way to find out is to subpoena these things mm-hmm. and you have to file for divorce in mm-hmm. order to do it. Right. But you don't have to get a divorce at the end after you figure out, after you see everything and you make your decision. And so that's what I did. I filed for divorce yep. without the intention of getting divorced to see what I was looking at. And once you told me, I think it was like right around the holidays, like between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I think you, you had the, we had the discussion and you were like, nope, I'm going to dismiss it. Yeah. We're going to reconcile. We talked yeah. and I'm like, yeah. this is great. I'm yes. Like, yes. So wow. that's the other thing. So I'll just add this before we move on to that. There was a third property that up in, in Seabrook. How is he getting the money for these? So I'm really not sure. I do know that he quit his job rather abruptly. So I don't know where the money came from. And I can't, I can speculate, but even I don't today, know. Even today, even now, we still don't really know. I really don't know. Yeah. We, he did go to my father to borrow some money. My dad's in his 80s. I believe he totally manipulated the situation. My dad would do anything for me. And he's presented it as it's going to be a family vacation spot. She's going to love it. So right. my dad forked over 50,000, wow. which he I has been back. Yeah. So when I had this conversation with my dad, my blood ran cold one day and I told him, dad, this is what's going on. And I, I'm thinking about filing for divorce and his face went white. And he said, I gave him $50,000. And I was like, what? And that's when, so this whole thing, it just, it had a life of its own. Every day was a fresh hell. I didn't know what I was going to encounter. I had, my Jeep was going to be repossessed. My lights got turned off. I got foreclosure notices. Things just weren't getting paid. Again, we had a very healthy income and Mm -hmm. an income that I contributed it significantly to. 
Mm-hmm. I wasn't, a, and not that this should have mattered, but I wasn't a stay-at-home wife who I was working very hard for our money. And there was even a time where I wanted, this is what kills me. So he spent all this money on that, on those types of things. I wanted my mudroom in the bathroom in the foyer painted. So I wanted it so badly. And he said, we don't need that. So I went and got a second job. I was making close to six figures because I didn't know how to access that money. And I wanted it so badly. I got a weekend job and I had it done. So that's when the financial abuse started. He would come up with watches. He would buy watches. Like he would be buying, he joined, we joined a country club. Like he would, it was either feast or famine. When I wanted something done, we didn't have the money, but he'd pop up with these things. So yeah, that's when the financial abuse, I believe, started. It was a lot of greed, a lot of maybe envy, seeing his friends with different things. Why don't we have this? It was definitely mismanagement of money. So what, when you when you confronted him about the reckless spending, the financial abuse, the watches, the trailers, the $50,000 loan from your dad, which you didn't even know anything about, what did he say? What, what challenge uh, did you have to overcome when you confronted him about this? So as I had to get a restraining order. And I think it's important to, to, so there was just, it was more than just an average divorce of somebody's going through a midlife crisis and they want a different kind of life. This had my alcohol use disorder, his, I believe, midlife crisis, sub, fueled by substance abuse disorder, and possible manic bipolar behavior. So I was met with a lot of anger and ex- just explosive behavior. Mm-hmm. I was not dealing with the same person I knew for so long. And because of that, that started to become clearer and clearer. And because he had quit his job, he mm-hmm. was in and out of the house without us being here. So we, the kids would be at school. I would be at work. Now, keep in mind, I'm still trying to raise two kids, go to work, getting calls at work about getting foreclosed on, asking the kids when they say that there's no electricity, well, look out the window, do the neighbors have electricity? Telling my son to hide his car in the garage because it might get repossessed, like things that just should not have been happening because of the money we were both making. So he was, I believe, going through a midlife crisis, had quit his job and was just living a life of hedonism. It wasn't like he was a regular guy, wanted something different, still going to his job and fulfilling his financial obligations. It wasn't like that. It was, he would come home, he was living out of his truck, living at these three properties, in and out, drained his 401k, then had the nerve to ask me about mine when we were going through the divorce, which he didn't, he asked once and that was all he needed to ask. So yeah, because this was fueled by my, and I was slipping in my sobriety, I was trying to hold it all together. So he was using, I was drinking intermittently and he would come in, he started stealing my credit cards, stealing my checks. He was amassing a huge amount of debt on credit cards, my credit cards, his credit cards. So I had to close all my credit cards and then he actually consolidated his debt and he Mm. consolidated his debt with an auto payment Mm. to my personal checking account. Mm. 
And I found that out when they started taking the money out and I was bouncing everything. So it was financial abuse in the way that he was using me, my credit, my money, um, but still in his head thinking it's ours. But that's when I knew it was getting to the point where I just had to separate myself from him physically, financially, emotionally. This was not the same person. Our marriage had run its course. And And like you said, that December, he came back three times. And every time he came back, he promised that it was it. We're going to work this out. This is, it was just one of those things. We're just having trouble. Um, Promises. Yep. Yep. And then he would, he would leave while we were at work and at school and it was harder and harder. Every time he came back, he had been gone so long that he couldn't reintegrate into our family. He just couldn't do it. Was that when he couldn't really reintegrate, was that when you ultimately decided that divorce was going to be your best course of action for you kids in light of these circumstances? Absolutely. And I thought even then I thought I'll get a divorce. And if we're meant to be together, Hey, people get divorced and remarried all the time. It's true. So I'm like, this is my, I have to survive. My kids have to survive. My, my oldest is ready for college at that time within a year or two. I was just trying to stop the hemorrhage. And now, where were the kids at when you ultimately decided that divorce was the best course of action, really your only choice given the hemorrhaging. So you say, how did the kids respond? Where were their heads at when all of this came down? They agreed. Sorry. My son got to a point where he didn't even want him in the house. Right. Because the person we were getting was not, they called him old dad and new dad. And the person we were getting was not who we knew. Old dad. And it was, he was very just erratic, volatile, Mm -hmm. and unpredictable. And the energy in the house, when he would try to come back at the beginning, we were all like, okay, let's move forward. We're doing this. But then as a day would go by and it was clear, he did not want to be there by his behavior. He was right. out, he was with us out of obligation and guilt. Right. And the person we were getting was angry. Right. He would slam things around mm-hmm. almost. You want me here? This is what you're going to get. And when he would leave, we would all breathe a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like five steps forward, 10 steps back after he yeah. kept coming back and couldn't reintegrate. Yeah. Um, and so I really hard. believe And I don't believe he did these things on purpose. I really do believe he was going through his own struggles. And I also believe that he wasn't intentionally trying to hurt us by coming back. I think that he was trying to figure things out when he was here. How did it feel? And he would say, I got to go. I got to get out of here. I feel like I need to get out. And he would leave and I try to be patient. And then he wouldn't come home either for days or at 5.30 in the morning. And I said, you, you're, we're either married or we're not. When you say, gaslighting again, I'm a grown man. Why can't I stay out till as late as I want? And right. why are you trying to control me? It's, this is not control. This is just not normal marriage behavior that I can tolerate. Right. I don't, and right. I didn't know what else, what he was doing. It's like he completely he forgot his standard of measure. Like everything, yeah. prior habits, prior, like the moral compass, it just all went over. none. He had none. He had no moral compass. And I do believe that was from substance abuse. He Mm -hmm. had to block himself off from reality in order to do what he was doing and live with the choices in in the effects of them that he had made. He hated himself. He was angry. Mm -hmm. He was pissed. And it came out as anger. He was 
mad at us. He was mad at himself. And it was just over. It was over. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the emotional toll that the divorce process took on you and on the kids, considering that this was not like a short-term marriage? This was a long-term, happy, healthy marriage for uh, many years. I would talk a little bit about the divorce process. We yeah. filed, you wanted to dismiss it. Talk a little bit about your ups and downs with the emotional roller coaster of going through all of this. Yeah, because, and I'd made mistakes along the way too. So I was feeling guilty about my alcoholism and how this contributed to really was the demise Mm -hmm. of my marriage. And he said that I had driven him to this. I had driven him away. I had driven him crazy. Maybe those things were true. Maybe there was a grain of truth to that. But ultimately, we're all responsible for our own actions and behaviors. And especially when I was trying to get sober, it was clear actions speak louder than words. I'm getting sober and you're running away. Is it because I'm waking up and I'm starting to realize things you've done and things you're doing and now you're getting caught red handed. So it took its toll for sure. There were, so the problem with it is it's a process and it takes time. And it's also one of those things where it's, you have to try things. It's trial and error. You don't know if some people's marriages survive these things. So you're trying to be like, okay, come back. This is what we're going to do. But then it doesn't work. That's why the third time it was starting to affect my kids. And I was like, this is not just about me anymore. And now it's about their financial future, their emotional well-being. And when they voiced that they didn't want him in the house was when I knew. Mm hmm. This is it. I have to protect them. It can't just be about me. Did you guys talk about marriage counseling at any point? We did. He didn't want to pay for it. (laughs) Really? I had asked him, will you please go to marriage counseling with me? He went to one session. He vaped marijuana the whole time. And it was almost like he was there. Like you wanted me here. Here I am. And this is how I showed up. So we only went once. And then I also looked into like intensive marriage therapeutic, like weekends and weeks. And he was like, how much is that? I'm not spending money on that. So that was clear to me. It wasn't wasn't a priority. The marriage wasn't worth the investment. He'd throw money away at these trailers. Yes. But couldn't be bothered with working on the marriage. Wow. So what steps did you take to protect yourself and the kids from the financial fallout caused by Kevin's actions? What? I, so I, I filed for divorce and, mm-hmm. but the problem with that is he didn't have a lawyer and he didn't, he was, he didn't, he just did not either care or he was not in touch with reality enough to be afraid enough to follow the rules. Everything's supposed, all your ass is supposed to be frozen in divorce. He was still spending. He was going on trips. He was going to California. He was going to Myrtle Beach. Again, wasn't working. This was going to be Kevin's year of hedonism. And uh, so it was really hard to enforce those types of things, even if I would tell him because he didn't have a lawyer. You're really not supposed to be draining your 401k or spending money on trips while you're in the middle of divorce proceedings. He just laughed in my face. So the only thing I could do was, well, work with you and the parameters, like you said, we could barely find them half the time. 
I just closed out all my accounts, opened new ones, had all my mail sent to my parents' house because, again, he was in and out. He would grab some things. He would open credit cards in my name. So anything that I could do to put protect my identity, of course, Did he had- Did you put any freezes on your credit? I'm sorry? Did you put any freezes on your credit? I did not. I did not put any freezes on my credit. Okay. And when I needed credit to live, quite honestly, again, every day was a fresh hell. What utility was getting turned off today? Again, I didn't have passwords. I didn't know. And then we had the shared account that was always empty. I had to feed my kids. I had to go to my family. He was going to my family, making up stories about why we needed money. And then they would give it to him. And then I'd be like, why did you give him that money? And they're like, they said that he said you guys needed it when he, we weren't even together. Right. So I needed credit to live. I needed credit for gas. I needed credit to pay off utilities to keep them turned on. I needed, I needed credit for foods. It was bad. It was bad. We got to a really bad spot, but thank God for, I have a very supportive family. Now that you've been through the process and it was a super rocky road getting through it, but yeah. fortunately he did agree to just take financial responsibility for everything. Yeah. What have you been doing to rebuild your own financial stability and regain control over your own finances after the divorce? Ash, he didn't have a lawyer and he wasn't in his right mind. Unfortunately, he even, Even in the divorce process, he deferred to me and I just told him, I need a place to live. The kids need a place to live. If you just give me the house and walk away, I will wait. I won't even go after alimony or your 401k because I don't even think there's any money in it. So he did that, which, you know, and then we had, so we had the three properties that had to be sold Mm -hmm. within that was court ordered. Yeah, everything he bought. So when I got the money from that, I had a ton of debt that I just paid off with that. And then I just started doing little things like there's an app, an Experian app that's free. You can pay to have some upgrades and different features. But Experian has an app where I just my my credit was just poor. It was like I don't even know, 200, 300 something, which was never the way I lived. And I ended up just every utility bill, everything that, that I paid for out of my checking account, I connected to this app and it's called Experian Boost. Mm -hmm. So it just lets you build up your credit for every bill you pay on time that's connected to the boost. Mm -hmm. And now I'm almost again at 700. And I, yeah. And it, that's been about a year and a half, but it wow. was, and I've had to do other things. I've had to sell things. Uh-huh. I was doing just per diem type stuff, Instacart. Yep. I do. And I have a regular job. And now I have a finished basement that is got a half bath and I'm going to be renting that out in the fall to somebody, a very good friend, just trying to be good with money and make it where I can. And and move forward. And you know what, as hard as it is, being able to be in control of my own money and know exactly where it is, even if there's not a ton of it, I sleep a lot better. Oh, I bet you do. Now, let me ask you, in in hindsight, 
What advice would you give to someone who may be experiencing a toxic marriage with um, financial abuse or a spouse who's going through a a midlife crisis? What advice could you give someone? Don't be afraid about what's on the other side Mm -hmm. because staying in something where you're being disrespected and abused just because you don't know what's on the other side it's just going to prolong your misery because you're pr- you're most likely going to be much better off by yourself and it's not going to be easy and you will make mistakes mm-hmm. utilize resources and you're going to have to work really hard it's like i said it's not going to be easy but you're going to be in control of your own life yep. you're going to be able to make your own decisions and that you can't put a price tag on I'm so much happier. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned that Experian Boost app, but were there any other support networks or resources that you found really helpful during the divorce process and coming out of all of this? So there's one one group that I know of that I've not taken advantage of yet, but I may. So I'm a social worker and I connect people with resources. That was another thing. I knew a lot about things I was eligible for because my income was at this point very low. But there's one group that people can Google, and I'm not sure if you have to be income eligible, but it's called Women's Money Matters. Mm -hmm. And you get assigned a financial coach and they go through your finances with you. They teach you what to invest in and it empowers you. And then you think, why did I spend so much of my life just handing my power over to somebody else? And I'm 50. I'm at that point where retirement is maybe like 10, 15 years away. I started putting way more money in my 401k. If I don't see it, I don't feel it. Again, if I have to do a few extra things to make ends meet, I'd rather just put it in my my 401k pre-taxed. Yep. Good planning. Now, tell me about how the divorce impacted your relationship with the kids and what ta- what steps did you take to ensure their emotional well-being through the process? I believe in therapy. I'm a big believer in therapy, but only when somebody wants to engage in therapy. I have two kids, one who was anti-therapy and the other who just ran to it. So one of my children wanted me there with some sessions and I was very respectful. I would wait sometimes in the waiting room while she had a session or I'd go in with her midway if she wanted me to. My advice is anything that makes them comfortable. And if they're not receptive to therapy right away, it may, they may be trying to process it a little bit on their own. And then when things settle down and the picture becomes clearer, they may be more receptive to it. Don't force them into it because they're not going to engage. You're going to be wasting everybody's time and money. But always let them know yeah. that it's available to them. Right. You're more than happy to set it up. Looking back on everything, the past three years, when this whole house of cards just started to cave in on you, really, how has the whole experience shaped you as an individual? And what lessons have you learned from going through this divorce with the financial abuse and the midlife crisis? I think that I was always a resilient person, but I think that I let him 
and I shouldn't say I let him make me feel, but I gave my power over to him. I felt like maybe he was more knowledgeable. He could make better decisions. I will never do that again. I will always have my finances separate from anybody that I either, maybe if I get into a relationship down the line, I will never get legally married again mm-hmm. because it's so hard to get out of and untangle from and things we've, I've already have my kids. I don't need to get married to have them in wedlock. And if I do cohabitate with somebody else, there will be a household account that everything that we share comes out of. And all of my stuff is sep- is going to be separate. That's it. There's mm-hmm. an, and no, there will be no sharing of financial information. Like I just, I've been burned and right. anybody's capable of anything under the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. People, you know, they, they, mental health issues, substance abuse issues, things, people will do things and you think you know them so well, things mm-hmm. happen. Right. You have to protect yourself. You have to protect yourself. It's been a wild ride, Nicole. It but has. Y- you came out of it. You're still standing. You've got the yeah. kids. You're doing well. You've rebuilt. Yep. And you're continuing to rebuild. I am. So hats off to you. you. You're one of the really great success stories for Right Family Law Group. So thank you so much for carving out the time to come on my podcast today. And yeah, stay in touch. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Remember, the information shared in our episode is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. Stay informed. Stay empowered. This is the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast.